What is going on? This is John from Prodigal Church. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen today to our weekly teachings podcast. At Prodigal, we're all about two things, loving God and loving people. The best way to stay connected is to download the Prodigal Church mobile app available at your app store. There you can donate, watch past series, and stay up to date on all things Prodigal. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Well, happy birthday, Prodigal Church. Sarah and I are just so grateful for you, and we're just thrilled to be a part of this community. And so cheers to the past four, and cheers to the next four. When Prodigal started, I definitely did not think that within the first several years that there would be a global pandemic, and that our church would have to shift, morph, adjust, that between year two and year four, there would be a span of 66 Sundays where we would not meet in person, indoors, together. A crazy couple of years doesn't really quite cover it, but we're here, you're here, and every year for our birthday, I get to teach on kind of whatever I want, okay? It's kind of like a, it's my party and I can cry if I want to kind of thing. And so every once in a while, we here at Prodigal Church want to recenter ourselves on the kind of church we are called to be. Uh, This morning, we are going to be studying the parable from which we get our name, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. Charles Dickens once said about this parable, the prodigal son is the finest short story ever written. I believe I agree. It is the longest of Jesus's parables. Shakespeare wrote plays about it. Rembrandt painted it. We heard about it in Sunday school. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, and we hear the story of the parable of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 verse 11 says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. It says there was a man who had two sons. So the story tells us from the very beginning that there are two sons in this story. One was rebellious, one was religious. We'll first look at the younger son, the rebellious, because that is the order in which Jesus tells the story. So he asked his dad for the money. Now, last week here at Prodigal Church, uh, we finished our Trader's Sermon Series, and we looked at the deception of money, greed. In the very next day, this last Monday, I'm in my office working and I hear my four-year-old kind of throwing a fit. So I poke my head out the door and she's throwing a fit. So I ask Sarah, why? And Sarah says, because your daughter Ivy struggles with greed. Um, See, Sarah had just taken her to the store and both my kids wanted to get a little toy. And so she got some colored sand and Dex got a whoopee cushion. And when they came home, Ivy wanted both to herself. Sarah says jokingly, obviously Ivy didn't listen to your sermon yesterday. Our kids want and want and want. They struggle with greed, with wanting more. They're like little ATM machines, except for it's, it's never any deposits, it's just constant withdrawals. It's like the young girl who went off to college and emailed her dad. Dad, I'm having a blast at the university this semester. Things are coming along very easy. I have no serious needs. And I can't really think of anything that might help make this semester the best ever. Just wanted to share with you my success and see if there's anything that you can think of that I might need. Love you, Stacy. Now, if you are listening to this right now with headphones on or on our iTunes podcast, 
you don't notice anything particularly unique about this email, except for the fact that in the email, every S that Stacy typed, she used the dollar sign. Uh, even better was her dad's response, and I think you'll be able to pick up on this. Stacy, thanks for your letter. I know college can be stressful and monotonous at times, but it's good to know you're handling things well. Things are pretty normal here, nothing new. Sorry you haven't heard from your mom and I in a while, but you know what they say. No news is good news. Have fun, love, dad. And of course, all of the NOs in that email were capital N's and capital O's to respond to his daughter's request. Asking your dad for money is one thing, but that is not what is happening in Luke chapter 15. This rebellious son dishonors his father. He basically says, Dad, I wish you were dead. But since you're not dead, uh, how about you just give me the third of the inheritance right now? I want you to liquidate your assets. Do it quickly. In Greek, it is even more stark. It is, he divided the life, the bios, between them. The inheritance was their lifeline. The father gives this young man what he wants. And in so doing, he sustains a massive financial loss. There's no way that you could liquidate things that quickly and get a fair price and definitely not a good price. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This younger son is rebellious. He spends and he spends and he's living the life, but then there's an economic downturn. Life was awesome until it wasn't. The money's gone. He finds himself working on a pig farm, which as a Jewish boy, this was the worst place he could be. He's hungry. He's so hungry that he's longing for the food that the swine are eating. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He came to his senses. He began the long walk back to his father's house. And you can see here, he is rehearsing his speech. He's, he's figuring out what he's going to say to his dad once he sees him. Uh, dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Uh, make me one of your hired hands. What's going to happen? What's dad got to do? Well, the Jewish law at the time tells us the options that dad could do. The law says three things. The father can disown him. That's what the law said. You can't treat your dad that way. The, fa the, the, the law said that, that he can beat him. There is a provision in the law that if you had a rebellious son, you could beat them. And then finally, the father could kill him. That's what the Bible said to do. When you have a rebellious son, it's right there in the law. All of Jesus' listeners hearing this parable would know the three things that the father could do. So in order for this son to come back, this son is himself taking a risk. So the son is looking at the ground, thinking about what he's going to say to his dad as he approaches home. Is he gonna disown me? Is he gonna beat me? 
Is he going to kill me? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. While he is rehearsing his apology, he looks up and he sees his old man. He sees his dad running towards him with a huge smile on his face. My son, my son, you're back. He's home. After disowning his dad, his dad doesn't disown him. He threw his arms around him. The Bible says that he kissed him. And in Greek, it's even more uh, drastic. It says he continued to kiss him. He showed him whatever kind of affection he could show. He was overcome by emotion. He was overwhelmed by his love for his lost son. Now, in first century Jewish culture, uh, this is not how a father would act. First, the father would wait for some sign of respect before he addressed his son. Here, the father throws all social conventions aside. And for the patriarch of the family to run was to lose all caution and all dignity. There's no dignity and there's no dignified way to run in a tunic, okay? There are only two times in the ancient world where you would run in a tunic. Would you ever see a man running? Number one is that if he had just committed a crime or if he was fleeing from, from a violent situation. Those are the only two times you'd see a man run. When the father sees his lost son, social conventions don't matter. What is proper doesn't matter. What people think of him doesn't matter. What's fair and unfair doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the father's embrace of his youngest child. It is a scandalous moment of great love and great sacrifice and great grace shown to the rebellious son. This is how God feels about you. Even now, something might be stirring inside of you. You've been away from home. Everything was awesome in, until it wasn't. And you wonder how God will respond. The father will run with open arms. The father is longing for you. This kind of love, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not logical, but love is not according to logic. Love is according to love. It is its own unique thing. God's love is the cure for our rebelliousness. Romans says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is not our repentance that leads us to the kindness of God. It is always about the initiating love of the Father. Are you rebellious? Does that foreign country look so glamorous and so good? The answer is found in our father's embrace. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father embraces and celebrates his son's return. And the father goes over the top, right? Somebody get me an event coordinator. Okay, we're going to need a band. Invite everyone. Bring them in. Let's eat the best steak that we have. Let's celebrate my son who was lost and is now found. Get the fattened calf. We're going to party. Literally, the word here for celebrate, if you had a Spanish Bible in front of you, it would be fiesta. I love that. 
We're gonna, we got a fiesta tonight because my boy's back home. Cue Lionel Richie. We're gonna party, Karamu, fiesta, forever. All night long. My son was lost, but he's found. He was dead, he's alive. We gotta celebrate. I'm overflowing with joy. So there's this massive fiesta and everybody's having a good time. Well, not everyone. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard Lionel Richie. So he called one of the servants and asked, what, what's going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Notice, it never says that he squandered it with prostitutes. It said he spent it on wild living. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And now we turn our focus from the rebellious younger son to the religious older son. The problem for this religious son is that he is in close proximity to the father, but he is so very distant from the father. In many ways, this son who is close to the father geographically, is further away from the father than even the younger son. Oh, he's there, right? He's always there. He even said so in his defense. He's the faithful one when it comes to working on the farm, helping bring in the revenue. But did you notice that he's surprised that the father still loves his brother? He, he's shocked by that. Where has he been? Where has his attention been directed that he didn't see the sadness in his father's eyes? That he, he never noticed him gazing longingly down the road, waiting for the day his younger son would return. See, the older son is angry, angry at his dad, angry at his brother, angry at the sins of his brother. And there is nothing wrong with being angry at sin. But when we let that anger consume us to the point where we turn it on towards the sinner, then we turn our own anger into sin. You see, I think that if I give others what they deserve, that I am on the side of God. I am not. I think that if I stay in church, if I do all the right things, then I'm on the side of love. I am not. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're loving. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're Christ-like. You can be in close proximity to the risen Christ and him be so far away from your heart. And you miss his heart. You don't see his longing for his lost children. Just think about this older brother. He hears the ruckus. He sees the crowd. What's happened? Haven't you heard your brother's back? And this twist, this is what makes the parable so powerful. This religious son says, dad, what are you doing? Dad's like, your, your brother came back, let's party. Let's fiesta. Let's be reconciled. I'm not going to be reconciled to him. 
He turned his back on our family. He is dead to me. I haven't spent any of your money, and he blew a third of the estate. I was doing all my chores, and I was doing his on top of that. Dad, I'm still a virgin. This guy's been with all kinds of women. He's an embarrassment. I'm ashamed we have the same last name. Son, you're always with me. Your brother is back. He's home. See, the older brother missed it. What should be a joyous celebration is now a pity party for one. You see, we can be moral and not be alive. Lost in religion. The great Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen says it this way, returning home from a lustful escapade seems so much easier than returning home from a cold anger that has rooted itself in the deepest corners of my being. My resentment is not something that can be easily distinguished and dealt with rationally. Christians, listen, this is the deception of the religious spirit, that you can be right in the thick of it, right in the middle of church and ministry, up to your elbows in it, and still be disconnected from your father's heart. Reluctant and loathsome obedience is not love. The older brother approaches his dad in a deal-making way. If you give me this, or since I have done this, I deserve this. Now you do that. It's a transactional relationship, but that is not how spirituality works. That's not how family works. That's not how love works. That's how the mafia works. That, that if then, it, it, it's contractual, it's reciprocal. It might be fair, but it's not love. It's not the way of the father. It's not the way of grace. The older son wants a merit-based way of living, a scorecard. And the only thing worse than wanting a merit-based way of living and not getting it is watching someone else receive grace. If you've been breaking your back for a scorecard and you realize that you didn't need one the whole time, that's infuriating. That is what the deceptiveness of the religious spirit has done inside the older brother. And it's what it does inside of us as well. How many of us have done this? How many of us have preferred the safety and control of a deal-making relationship, either in our relationship with others or in our relationship with God? It might be safer because I don't let anyone in, but it is not the way of love. It's not the way of authentic spirituality. It's not the way of Jesus. Now notice this. The father goes out to both sons. He leaves his house for the younger son on the road, and he leaves his house for the older son outside the party. The father goes out to both. The initiating love of the father goes out to both sons. Two sons. One separated from his father because of his bad deeds. One separated from his father because of his good deeds. Two sons, rebellious, religious. Which are you? And these two are certainly not mutually exclusive. They both live within us. See, there can be a sense of self-righteousness in being the younger son. Well, at least I'm not like those religious people that judge everybody. They're the worst. I might be rebellious, but at least I'm not disillusioned. See, there can be a bit of the older spirit in the younger son's heart, 
is that you, both sons are us, and we are both sons. The only thing in common between the older son and the younger son in the story is that they're both using the father. Neither one is loving the father. Which are you? When does rebelliousness creep up in your heart? When does religiosity creep up in your heart? The word sin is an ancient term that the Hebrews use, and it means missing the mark. It's, it's an archery term. Uh, you are aiming for a target and you miss. Sin is missing the mark. You see, we can miss the mark to the left and we can miss the mark to the right. They're both missing the mark. And the message of Jesus here isn't, let's avoid extremes, don't be a self-righteous jerk or a crazy sinner. That's not the, the Jesus message. The, it's, it's not let's avoid extremes. That might be a good principle, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you're both wrong. And there's a different way to think about it all together, and it's called grace. Two brothers, one rebellious and one religious. Well, who should we be? There is a third son in the parable of the prodigal son. And he's actually the one who told the story. He's not the rebellious son. He's not the religious son. He's the son of God. And this third son has changed my life, changed the trajectory of my life. The word prodigal means lavish, extravagant, or wasteful. I don't think the younger son necessarily is the best example of prodigal. I think it is the father because his love is so extravagant. His love is so lavish, almost wasteful, scandalous. The parable more appropriately titled would be the parable of the loving father. This third son not the rebellious one, not the religious one, but this third son, this son of God, invites us in. He invites the rebellious, he invites the religious, the liberals, the conservatives, the naughty, the snotty, the selfish, the self-righteous, the rich, the poor. He invites us all into the fiesta. So come on, let's go. Vamos. Let us embrace the grace that the extravagant Father shows on us, that he lavishes on us all. We are called to lead the rebellion of the younger son, and we are called to relive the life of religion of the older son. And join the one who's throwing the party, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus throws a killer party. Notice in the life of Jesus that he is friends with those who are rebellious, but he never sinned. And notice that he is friends with those who are religious. But he tore down the religious system and status quo that was oppressing people in his day. There is a way of being a Christ follower that is neither rebellious nor religious. And that is the way of Jesus, the way of grace, the way of compassion and love and mercy. And that's where the party is. And Jesus fights us in. God, we are so thankful for the ways in which you call us out of rebellious living and religious living. And that you invite us into this party. 
in life, that's where the life is. And so God, would you do away with religiosity in our own lives? Loathsome and reluctant obedience and replace that with great love. And the rebelliousness that's inside of us that we think we know best, we think our way will work out in the end, and we want to live that way, God, would you lead us down the road back to the Father to know that that love is greater than anything we encounter outside of it. So help us, Father. We need you and help our church to be a church that calls us out of rebellion and calls us out of religion and invites everyone to the party. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are watching or listening to this before 10 a.m. on Sunday, September 19th, 2021, uh, feel free to join us in person as we celebrate Prodigal's four-year birthday. We've got a lot of fun things planned. It would be great to see you. Uh, next week, we begin a brand new sermon series called Binge Reading the Bible, and it's going to be incredible. We hope you have Come a great week. Happy birthday, Prodigal. All night long, all night.